Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Word and Table. I'm Alex Wilgus, your host. This week's episode is part two of a two-part discussion on the liturgical calendar. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to it first, and you'll be able to enjoy this one. Now, uh, here's the last part of Father Stephen and my conversation on the liturgical calendar. Well, let's let's talk about this. The you talked about another calendar, the sanctoral calendar. The sanctoral, I mean, the, the the calendar of the saints, right? Okay. Yeah. So, tell me about tell me about that. What is what is in the sanctoral calendar? Well, that's something no one ever planned for. What actually happened was in early days when there were periodic persecutions. Is in local churches what would happen during a persecution? Some people would die for the faith. Now there was a Roman custom, or the, the that uh, what you did when somebody died is you'd always commemorate the day they died. For example, Jews of this day, do they call it the Yarzite, a special day that you remember relatives who died the day they died. In the Roman world, what you did specifically is you went out to the cemetery, but cemeteries weren't mournful places. They were above ground, and people had a picnic. And so they had sort of a memorial lunch, but to remember, you know, to remember, you know, the person who had died. So what the church did is they would actually go out to the cemeteries on the day for a local someone who had given their life in that local church. And they go out to their burial place and they would have the Eucharist hmm. uh, on that day. And that would become the day that hmm. in that church. And originally all, all uh, saints' days were to the local church who had actually known these people who had been martyred there. Okay, so it was a local thing. Always a local thing. And later on it uh, it spread, you know, certain as, as the churches as. Um, connections grew and saints became popular is what originally was simply a local feast, you know, based on that idea would spread to other churches as well. Originally it was only martyrs. Uh, It would be the day of their martyrdom. Later on it encompassed people who were confessors, people who suffered, were often tortured or imprisoned for the faith. And finally it just came to people of very holy life. Like, for example, in the Western Church, St. Martin of Tours, um, was one of the earliest saints, or perhaps the earliest, is some, somewhat doubtful to actually have not been a martyr or a confessor, just to be recognized on the day he died. Huh. Okay. So the sanctuary calendar is, is simply re- remembering the saints on various days. Right. It was just a commemoration of these great uh, men and women of God. Okay. Um. So, was there a time when all of this stuff was sort of collected and and written down? How wh- where do we get the calendar that we have and and follow today? Did someone ever sort of close the book on that? Well, as far as the sanctuary, no, it stays open to this day, and it's different in different places. There are some days that all of us, um, basically, in the Western Church. Um, you know, celebrate. But there are so many saints. That's why we have all saints. There's an infinite number of saints. I love the language we use in the prayer book, whose faith is known to you alone, describing saints that we don't know. They're out there, the the, the all saints. Hmm. But what would happen is that if you look at our prayer books, is that our prayer books in different uh, provinces, different countries, for example, will have the saints we all share, plus local saints, people that in that place have a very special meaning in that particular place. And we keep people adding people. The church will recognize someone. This is a man or a woman of God that we put forward. You want to have a special remembrance of them. Okay. So it's still an ongoing process. Ongoing process. Wow. Interesting. That's in the Roman church, they call it canonization. You see, yeah. periodically Mother Teresa recently in the Roman church was recognized. Right. It simply didn't mean she became a saint. She'd always have been a saint. We're saints. And it's simply a recognition of her of her status as a, an official model and example and a commemoration of sure. the church calendar. 
calendar. And she's in the calendar now. She's in the calendar. Okay, wow. Enrollment in the calendar. Enrollment, yeah. It's like getting a road named after you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think you can. I think. I think these days people um, pay pay little companies to name stars after them or something. Okay. Like that. But, anyway. but it's. But, it, but again, we all gather around the uh, around the table and, and remember because we're with the communion of saints. We'll yeah. need to talk about that someday. Is the communion of saints? Uh, is we believe we're that this the the the, the bond we have that's built in our baptism and Eucharist isn't broken by death. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it, it's very real that we, rem- especially on those who remember, these are people celebrating with us yeah. in and the it, presence of God. And it's a really powerful reminder of how the Holy Spirit continues to work through his people um, yes. throughout. So I, you know, one of the things, so let, let's, let's go back to the circle, back to the seasonal calendar though. Okay. Um, is there, uh, it, it, it's, is, it's connected to the lectionary, isn't it? Right. What happened was originally, let me tell you something about the lectionary. What people used to do in synagogues, things over the centuries became much more standardized. In early rabbinic Judaism, what people did in the synagogue is they simply opened the scroll and read for a set period of time. And when they ran out of time, they stopped and they picked up again. Hmm. And eventually what happened is people took on the idea of doing it systematically. Everyone read the same portion. And there's a feast in Judaism called Simhat Torah, Rejoicing in the Torah, which is the end of the reading of the Torah. Huh. Well, it's sort of interesting because since the Torah never ends, is the idea is you also read the first verse of Genesis. Okay. Because it all starts over. It all starts over again. But the idea, we had much the same process happened in, in, in the church is people gathered and they would read the scriptures as much as time permitted. Mm-hmm. But gradually, because we had this calendar developed, we'd want to read things about the Lord's birth on Christmas, you know, et cetera. We'd want to read okay. appropriate scriptures. We began assigning scriptures today based on that theme based on the theme of that season or that feast okay so the lectionary kind of over time began to line up with the seasons exactly it was inspired and then for the times remember there's a big gap the seasons only goes from basically the end of november to let's say the end of march or april so what about the rest of the year and that's where we'd be more systematic about it and that's where we'd systematically go and say let's just sort of read almost in order, you know, things we'd read, read, read through the gospels and right. things and just more a systematic reading through. Um, but it's a, it's a three year cycle, isn't it? That's right. Is the, uh, uh, recently that hasn't always been the case in recent years since the 1960s, we have a three year cycle to make sure we really cover the maximum amount of scripture. And so what we do every year is you say, well, gee, there are four gospels. And I say that we devote one year to each gospel. Who's missing? Well, the answer is John's every year, and that's okay. really for practical purposes. Okay. And John's called the theologian. He's sort of the gospel of gospels. He sort of gives us the, the theology. What does it all mean in a very special way? So every year we have, uh, you know, we have either Matthew, Mark, or, or Luke. Mm-hmm. We just go in a, a cycle where they're the ones during this, the remaining season that we focus on. Also, they're the ones, for example, during the, the, the regular seasonal calendar, like there, everyone has, a, has an account of the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So in the year of Luke, you'll use Luke's account. You know, typically you'll use their special account. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's the three year. The thing about the lectionary that's really great is I think is first of all, it's, remember we say that, that we read scripture together as church. It's a visible sacrament of that, that mm-hmm. we actually literally are reading as a church. Everyone's reading these passages, but it has a practical effect of a great discipline for, I know you're a preacher. Yeah, and I preach, and I don't know, but would you say that um, doesn't it force you to really deal with scriptures? So you're not coming back to always the same scriptures and the same themes. It makes you really 
Yeah, work. it really does. I mean, when I when I started preaching, I started to realize how much I gravitated toward particular scriptures, particular themes that I just happened to like, and stay away from other things that were a little bit more difficult or thorny or maybe uh, challenged or convicted me a little bit too much. But when I started preaching along the lectionary, it made sure that I covered everything, and I would look at the scriptures that I needed to be preaching on or, or considering that week. And it certainly forced me into certain scriptures that I wouldn't have chosen myself. So the two things really the lectionary does for us is that it, um, it's a visible representation of the church reading the scripture together. And we said, we, we understand the scriptures together. So it's a visible representation of everyone reading the same scriptures, mm. but it does provide that discipline as well. And also as we're talking about the, just the Sunday, but we've preserved the very ancient tradition of the church traditionally praying morning and evening. You know, we have we call right. those the offices, morning prayer and evening prayer. Mm-hmm. And we have an incredible lectionary that goes, you'll find in the back of the Book of Common Prayer, that systematically brings us through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you really, if you go through the morning uh, morning and evening prayer, you will, have, uh, you will have read the Bible. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's end by, t- tell me about the colors um, of, the, of, of each season in the seasonal calendar. You know, green, purple, red. What's the, what's the purpose there? Where do these things come from? Well, you know, it's, I, maybe the purpose start there and tell you about the colors. You know how some people in my neighborhood, there's some people who really get into Halloween. They do special things. You know it's Halloween. Yeah, you know, the full pony everywhere. cobwebs and all those kinds of things. <laughs> and there are people who do Thanksgiving in my neighborhood, not to mention Christmas. I mean, those sure. kind of things. And some people do things in Easter. But people like to do special things. For, people like seasons. It's part of pe- human beings like the idea of moving on, of cycles and, and life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we do things to show that. You know, we like to celebrate. We don't want, you know, it somehow seems more Thanksgiving if we decorate or more Christmas if we, if we decorate. Sure. And so what the liturgical colors do is they sort of remind us in a very beautiful way with like when we have the Christmas tree up and things we know it's Christmas right you know uh, that's it's it's for a while we just know it's that season it's a visual cue it's a visual cue yeah and so the the colors are the white is the uh, color of the great feast gold by the way is the the liturgical equivalent of white they're the same color for for liturgical purposes so gold and white are what we use on Christmas the great incarnation the the, uh, in the Christmas season Easter in the Easter season the white of the resurrection Hmm. you know the white of the great feasts um, we have purple as the uh, color of of both penance, which we have repentance, which is what we have for Lent, and of expectation. Mm-hmm. Now, in some churches, they use blue. That's a very recent development for Advent to try to emphasize there's a different feel to expectation than okay. penance. But that's not traditional. It's traditionally, it's been it's been purple both seasons, a different meaning. And you might say, well, gee, red is we use um, like the uh, on, on Pentecost for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we use it uh, during Holy Week. You know, with the, the, the um, with with the Holy Week events, and so the, you might say, but the, you say, well, green. We use green most of the year. Where mm-hmm. does that come from? Well, people often would call the time after Pentecost the season of the Holy Spirit, and actually, green is the you know people say, isn't red the color of the Holy Spirit? Well, no, it's, it's the color of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's color is green. He's the Lord and Giver of Life. Oh, green like life. Right. Okay. And mind you, the Eastern Church uses the colors differently, but not in this case, we're on the same page, is that if you've ever seen that, something, a famous icon called uh, called the Old Testament Trinity, the three visitors who visited Abraham, and there's a famous, famous painting, I'm sure you, you've seen of that, an icon in the Eastern Church, and they have these, these three visitors looking around, and the, the one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
And we know the sun is in the middle because he has in the Eastern Church, um, blue over red means divinity covering humanity, the story of Jesus, uh, his divinity covering our humanity. So that one's Jesus. And the third is green. He's looking out over the world. He's the only one. The other two are looking at each other, but the third is he's looking out at the others and over the world. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's the mm. season of the Holy Spirit, the one who fills the church. And so green is the color we use for that season. You know, after Pentecost, we're living in that light of the, the, the Holy Spirit time until we begin again in Advent. Oh, wow. So is it, does it, does it uh, evoke the, the new creation or the... Right. It's the time that the Holy Spirit, that, 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 you know, which comes for us with Pentecost. It's, you know, that the, the life of Christ still with us, you know, the breath of Christ in his church. Yeah. So in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, they refer to the, these times as ordinary time. Uh, as Anglicans, we use the term time after Pentecost. Okay. We talk Sunday or, or you know, Sunday is, is Sundays after Pentecost. Ordinary time. Does that mean, eh, it's ordinary, don't worry no, about no, it? No, no, not at all. Is <laughs> one of the things that's really different between the Eastern and the Western churches. In the Eastern church, they tended to emphasize uh, services that were almost never changed. Uh, you know, the word for word, there'd be tiny changes, but they didn't change much depending on what was going on. They're pretty much the same. There are some, I, mean, I know in the Eastern Church, like we have a, there's a different Eucharistic prayer during Lent, but fundamentally the idea was the liturgy didn't have much in a given liturgy that changed. Okay. In the West, what we love to do was to do special things, like those people who put all the special decorations for seasons. And so we often have prayers and things that change every Sunday, you know, change for special seasons. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of that. Well, in Latin, something that's unique to something is called proper. Propere in Latin, something that's proper. And so if, if something has something unique to it, there's a prayer we use this Sunday or this day that was called a proper. Okay. And ordinary meant that there's nothing except the basic skeleton. We don't have anything, un, no special prayer or anything else for okay. this day. And so ordinary time at those times were... <laughs> so it's back to the set. Per, yeah, really okay. back to the set thing. Basically, there are no decorations, you know, on the house. You know, it's that time. Got it. Okay. So, so ordinary time. Simply. Think of Janu- January if you've actually taken down your Christmas lights. Okay. You know, no one, no one, no one has special decorations for February, do they? But it's, but it's, but it's not a time that we that is that we sort of um, just kind of relax and nothing's really no, important. No, not at all, yeah. not at all. Okay. Actually, what's beautiful about that time is one of the reasons we read read the gospel. We can look at it this way: is remember the apostles never really got it. Uh, during yeah. while they were with the Lord Jesus. Even at the Last Supper, you know, he says, you know, he finally said, you know, Philip says, okay, we've got it. He said, Lord, you know, just show us the Father. He says, Philip, how long have you been with me? Yeah. Matter of fact, in the Eastern Church, this is the reason that um, in the Western Church, in I, in the Western Church, we use halos to show sort of like like white hats and black hats for cow, for cowboys and Indians, good guys and the, or, uh-huh. uh, you know, yeah. Westerns, good guys and bad guys. And in the Eastern Church, it means when you get it. When you finally put it together, then you get the and the halo. apostles only get it at Pentecost, you know. So, okay. so there's a sense that we've been living through the life of the Lord, but we look at it differently now in the light of everything we just lived through. So, in a sense, we read the gospel in that light. Okay, I see. Well, thanks, Father Stephen. Um, That's all the time we have left for this episode. And thank you for listening to Word and Table. Just a couple of notes. Uh, First, thanks for all the reviews that you guys have been leaving us on iTunes. You know, that really helps us uh, with our visibility. Um, So uh, if you could just um, leave us a a quick review, hope it's five stars, um, and uh, let us know what you think about the program. Um, We're also starting to get some uh, questions that we're excited to answer in the coming weeks. Um, And if you have a, a question for Father Stephen, 
uh, right into wordtablepodcast at gmail.com. And the last thing I wanted to do uh, was, again, just give a huge special thanks to GIA Publications um, for uh, supplying the, the, the beautiful music that, that, we, that we've been listening to. Um, so thank you, everyone, for, for listening, and we'll uh, see you next week.